Great, just a thankful time of worshiping God through music. And uh, tonight we have the privilege of continuing the sermon series of the Upside Down Kingdom. And we actually have a pulpit swap, if I can call it that. So uh, Donnie is preaching tonight at the Willows congregation, so that's why he's not here. But tonight I have the privilege to introduce Nati. Uh, he's also a colleague of mine. Um, come on. Uh, so, Nati, he's a missionary with me on University of Pretoria, so just thank you for serving us with the word and preparing and really for preaching the word. Amen. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Nati, and um, just there's a photo of my family up there somewhere uh, in one of the slides, just to introduce you to my family in one of the slides that's coming up. There we go. Yes, so that's my wife, Sianda, um, and, that, uh, and that beautiful little girl in the middle. That's our daughter, Uminati. Uh, she is one years old. She is our miracle baby because she came early at around 27 weeks. Um, and there was a point where things were just life and death. We didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but now you would never say uh, that she came early simply because of just what God has done in her um, yeah, so that's our, our miracle baby. And uh, uh, just to give you, uh, for the, so that you get to know me a bit better. Uh, so I got saved at WITS, because I studied WITS, BSc Mathematics of Finance. Um, and then I joined that Every Nation campus that side. Uh, and then while I was serving as a campus missionary, uh, I, I felt the call to come to plant a campus ministry at TUT. Because uh, the gospel needs to advance. It does not stay in one place. Um, so that's something that's finally happening next year, which I'm really thankful for. Uh, and uh, this evening, we are continuing our sermon series on the Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, and we'll be reading from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 10. Uh, but before I get started, who are here as students? Come on. Uh, enjoy this time as students. Uh, one thing I've learned about being an adult is that you don't solve, it's not one problem at a time. It's multiple problems all at once, concurrently, forever and ever that you're trying to solve. So enjoy your time as a student. Uh, enjoy your time. Um, because now there's freedom to do certain things. Um, by 9 p.m., I want to be home. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I know as students, you're just like running wild at 9 p.m. It's not yet time to sleep. So... Cool. Um, so we are on week five of our sermon series on the Upside Down Kingdom. Um, and when the queen passed away uh, a few weeks ago, they took a coffin and they laid her in state at Win Westminster Abbey. Westminster Abbey. Uh, and the whole point around this was so that the general public can come and actually pay their final respects to the queen. But here's the thing is that uh, the queen did not know these people. I don't think she even knew of their existence as well, nor did they have a relationship with the queen. I don't think they've even ha ever had a conversation with the queen. Yet, with God, who is our king, it is completely flipped around. He knows us by name. He knows, us, he knows where our life began. He even knows where our life is going to end. He knows us so intimately, unlike an earthly king or an earthly ruler. And that's the upside-down nature of the kingdom. And we have an opportunity to commune with the king. The title of the sermon this evening is The King Wants Communion. 
Communion is when you share intimate thoughts and intimate feelings with someone on a mental, uh, on a mental and a spiritual level. So God, the king of the universe, the one who created the world, the one who created you and I, the one who created the heavens, the one who created the school, the one who had plans for the school, the one who created accounting, the one who created architecture, he wants to share intimate thoughts and feelings with you. A lot of the time we believe that we are the ones who need to bring these intimate thoughts and feelings, which is good. It must happen. But we also ought to expect a response from the king who also wants to share intimate thoughts and emotions with us. In the book of Isaiah, it says, those who fear the Lord will be entrusted with God's heavenly secrets. It's just a paraphrase. And so if we fear God, God will entrust to us things that he will not just reveal to anyone, but there are things that he reveals to specific people. Uh, there are some times when I listen to sermons uh, and the pastor says something so profound from a scripture that I've read over and over again, and I'm just like, which Bible are you reading? Because that's not what I'm getting, but that's simply because God has entrusted with them an intimate thought and an intimate feeling simply because of their communion with the king. So could you please stand uh, as we read this evening's scripture? And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are faithful. Father, there is none like you on this world who is more loving, who is more gracious, who is more kind than you. We thank you, Father, that you are holiness. And we ask for your presence to be with us this evening. That as I speak, you would speak through me. Whatever ideas I have, Father, I ask that you would remove them so that your word can shine. That your truth can go forth. And I pray for each and every single heart this evening that they would receive your truth. I pray for their hearts that they would find fertile soil. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. You can be seated. So, we'll be looking at three things this evening. The first one is an intimate invitation, an intimate encounter, and an intimate call. So, an intimate invitation, an intimate encounter, and an intimate call. So, the scripture starts off by saying, after six days, and I'm the type of person I really want to know why that is there, uh, because it's there specifically for a reason. I'm like, God, why did you put this there? And I've heard from God, and I know why it says, and after six days. Because it was after six days. There's nothing supernatural about it. It's just after six days. And so, but what happened six days prior? So six days prior, uh, Jesus and the disciples were talking. And then the disciple, uh, Peter specifically, comes to Jesus. I mean, Jesus shares with them that he will, be, he will suffer at the hands of the Pharisees. Uh, he will be put to death on a cross, and that he will rise again from the dead three days later. And Peter, 
went to Jesus and said, no, Lord, this cannot happen. You see, Peter had a specific idea of what the Messiah was going to do. According to his understanding, a Messiah was there to liberate Israel. The Messiah was there to, to restore the kingdom of Israel. And a suffering Messiah does not fit in with his image and his understanding of the Messiah. But that, that's who God is, is, that the preconceived notions and the preconceived ideas that we have about Jesus, we need to let go of those and actually embrace who Jesus is for who he says he is. One of the things that happens is that they say, no, Jesus, don't. We don't want you to die. And Jesus says, behind me, Satan. Jesus wasn't rebuking Peter in that moment, but he was rebuking that thought and that idea because that is not from God. Jesus came to restore his kingdom, not the kingdom of Israel. Jesus was on his mission, not on our mission. How many times in our relationship with God do we want God to serve us rather than us serving God? Because our Christian faith is not about us, but it's about Jesus. When we come here in a Sunday service and we're singing hallelujah, it is about Jesus and it has nothing to do with us. And then six days later, Jesus takes them up on a mountain because Jesus wants to reveal something to them. Jesus wants to address that thought that they had um, six days prior. And he took specifically those who were closest to him. He took James, Peter, and John. You see, Jesus could have taken anyone. He could have taken the other nine disciples as well. He could have taken any of the random people that he was ministering to. But he decided he's going to take those who are closest to him. The king wants communion with us. That he wants us to draw close to him. He wants us to draw close to him in an intimate relationship with him. The closer we draw to God, the more God can take us away from the crowd, the more God can take us away from everyone else, and he can reveal things to us in relationship. But, but they had to be willing. So Jesus took them, and then he led them. In order to be led, you need to be willing to be led. Neil, can I borrow you quickly? So you're going to resist me. I'm going to try and lead you, and then you're going to resist me. Right? Cool. Can Jesus do anything with Neil? No, he can't. <laughs> he can't because he is resisting it. But when Jesus leads you, you need to be willing to be led. You can sit down. Thank you, Neil. You need to be willing to be led. And to be led by Jesus means he's the one who sets the pace. He's the one who sets the tone. He's the one who leads. And we follow. So our invitation is one where he leads. So we need to be willing to be taken by God and to be led by God. Another thing is that when he led them, he led them up onto a mountain. One of the first things you'll realize about hiking is that it is a mistake, right? <laughs> and then... <laughs> But the, the, but the great things about hiking is that usually around the hiking trails, there's usually like a mountain that you hike up to, and then you just see this beautiful scenery. Then you see this beautiful creation, and you see just a lot of... And you're just like, you're standing in awe and wonder, and you're like, God, this is amazing. Your creation is beautiful. That's where God leads us. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. A lot of the times, as he leads us, we'll be thinking, man, this is a mistake. 
because it's not comfortable, because the road is not smooth, the road is quite rocky. There will be obstacles, there will be challenges in our faith. There will be obstacles and challenges in our relationship with God. One of the current biggest obstacles that we are faced with um, in, in this day and age is this. Are we willing to even lay this down so that we can be led by God? So we have the opportunity to be led by Him. Church, are you willing to be led by Jesus this evening? Are you willing to, for Him to lead you into uncomfortable spaces, on an uncomfortable road, but knowing that He is God, He is the one who brings comfort, not the journey, not the world around us, but Jesus is the one who brings comfort. It's not comfortable being a Christian, and it's not supposed to be comfortable. As soon as it's comfortable, we have to question, are we still being led? Because the road is not easy, but it is so worth it. Our second point is um, an intimate encounter. So we see uh, in verses 2 to 6, it says, uh, And led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Sometimes we don't know what to do with strange scriptures like this one, where we see a, a, a glorified Jesus. Let me also say this. Sometimes we are also okay, currently, in this day and age, to not see a glorified Jesus. And because it's in the Word, I believe that it can actually happen in reality. One of the interns at Willows, when he got saved, he saw a glorified Jesus. It wasn't something that just was in the text, but it's something when the text came alive to him where he saw Jesus for himself. We can have such an encounter with Jesus in this day and age. I remember a few weeks ago, I was at Mbombela doing a victory training, and we were doing a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I was standing there, and I thought I was imagining things. I'm like, no, whatever's happening, this is in my head. Until I started asking the other leaders, and I'm like, hey, did you guys see, and remember, we are in a garage. So we're in someone's garage. There's load shedding, so it's dark as well. Um, we have uh, some emergency lamps, but they are starting to flicker. They're starting to go out. Then afterwards, I asked someone, I'm like, hey, I, I know this might sound weird, but did you see a cloud in this garage? Because I thought I was imagining things. And then the person was like, yeah, 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 no, no. I also saw that cloud. And I was like, okay, this is weird, right? Because there are certain experiences that are weird in Scripture. And we see even with their response that they see this weird encounter. It's a lovely encounter. But then now they want to bottle it and put it in a way which makes sense for them. Because in the Old Testament, the presence of God dwelt in a tabernacle. So they wanted to create a tent so that the presence of God can dwell there. But that's not what Jesus is doing. The presence of God isn't supposed to be dwelling in a tent. The presence of God is supposed to be dwelling in each and every single one of us so that wherever we go, we can release the presence of God into whatever sphere of influence we are called to. Exams are coming up right now. And I remember as a student, I'd be sitting in the library and it would feel so tense. It would feel so anxious. 
And I would just feel that the environment is weighing heavy on me. But then the presence of God is something where we can pray and declare the peace of God in that place. We can declare the love of God in that place. We can declare the presence of God, that God, let your lights be made known in this library so that everyone can know who you are for who you say you are. Not only that, but he was, his clothing was so white like no way anyone could ever bleach them. This is telling us that there is, you know when you use jig and you're trying to bleach something? Because when you bleach something, you are removing a stain, you are removing a blemish, you're trying to make it white again. But over time, that bleach actually does destroy that clothing. And that's simply because we are doing something in our own efforts and in our own strength. Holiness comes from God, not our own strength. Holiness is something that is imparted from God. It is something that we can't do it in our own strength. Because the more we try, the more we'll see that we fail. But Jesus just went into the presence of God on that mountain and already transfigured. And his holiness was made known. In, one, I mean, in Exodus 33, we see an, a, a, another awkward encounter. Where, God, where Moses cries out to God, like, God, show me your glory. And God was like, no, 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 you don't want to see my glory. And Moses was like, no, God, show me your glory. How will the people know I am sent by you if you aren't with me? And God was like, well, you've got a point. But I can't show you my face. I will show you my back. For if I show you my face, you will die. The reason why Moses would have died in that instance is because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. You see, God is so holy that he destroys sin. In the same way that Jig kills 99.999% of germs, God's holiness kills 100% of our sin. And in our sinful nature, we can't just enter into the presence of God and think we will survive that encounter. But the presence of God kills 100%. Of sin. We see Jesus is there. He's speaking with Moses. He's speaking with Elijah in this glorified form. Weird things are happening. And that was a, a prophetic declaration to say, I am here to fulfill the law and what the prophets have testified in the Old Testament. And because of what I have done, you can enter into my presence. Not because of what we can do. Because, see, friends, there's nothing you can do to attain that level of holiness. But that level of holiness comes because Jesus is the one who has fulfilled the law. He lived the perfect life that we should have lived. And even in the Old Testament, what he was prophesied about actually did come true and was fulfilled in him. So because of the gospel, because of him and what he has done, we can come into the presence of God. We can come into his holiness. Another thing about holiness, just so I can stress this point about how dangerous holiness is, is that from a distance, from where we are right now, and if the sun was warm, it's beautiful, it's amazing, it's lovely, it's safe, it's life-giving, we can get a tan, um, it's great for us. But the closer we get to the sun, and if we were to leave Earth and move closer and closer towards the actual sun, we would burn and we would die. And simply because it is not safe for us to approach the sun, as is. But God created a world where it is safe for us to experience the Son. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us so that we have safety to come into His presence and experience His Son. 
Um, cool. And they were afraid. You can't enter into something that holy, that magnificent, and just be the same and remain unchanged. The holiness of God strikes fear into our hearts. And fear is, is there's a tension that we are holding. So scripture calls it awe and wonder. Awe in the sense that, wow, this is amazing. This is great. But fear in the sense that, man, I'm going to die here. And so their response to say, we, Lord, shall we make tents? Makes sense. Because you want to put the presence of God in something that makes sense. But that's not what God is calling us to. When we encounter Jesus, encounter him for who he is, and don't shy away from what he's revealing to you. He revealed that to the, to the three disciples because he had an intimate relationship with them. Not the others, and not the world yet, but he revealed it to them. So God wants to reveal things to you. Are you willing to go into that uncomfortable place where you experience the holiness of God and you hear from God? And lastly, there's an intimate call. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God is affirming the divinity of Christ Jesus. God is affirming the relationship that he has with Jesus. God is affirming that I have delegated my authority to my son. Listen to him. And what must they listen to? We go back to the previous chapter where Jesus told them that I must die. I mean, I must, I must suffer at the hands of the Pharisees. I must die and I must rise again three days later. Listen to him. Believe that truth. Believe the gospel. Believe the sanctifying work that he has done. Believe the fact that he has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled everything that was prophesied about. Listen to him. In the ancient world, listen had a, a deeper meaning as well. It wasn't just about listening and hearing what's being said, but it's about listening to hear so that you can obey. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. When Jesus said that he's calling us to surrender to Jesus as Lord, because he has authority, he has final say. Not us, not our families, but Jesus has final say. Are you willing to listen to him as Lord? And after this encounter, after everything that has happened, Elijah and Moses went back into heaven. God, the cloud disappeared. They were only left with Jesus. An experience and an encounter with God where we see the glorified Jesus is good and it's amazing. But our priority is to surrender to Jesus as Lord. After everything was said and done, all they had was Jesus. After everything is said and done, what do you have? Do you have Jesus or do you have Jesus and? Jesus and my opinions. Jesus and my cell phone. Jesus and my culture. Jesus and my wife. Who is your Lord?
This is my beloved son. Listen to him. But then how do we get to a place where we can listen to Jesus? Gideon, so wonderfully, uh, earlier on, as he was being Gideon, he was being amazing, declaring the mysteries of God. And he said, the gospel is the good news that God came as a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die in our place. And three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that he is the Son of God and offering forgiveness of sins uh, and, and repentance to those who choose to believe in him. Salvation is a choice that you have to make. But salvation does not come alone. It is a package deal because Jesus is not only Savior, but he is also Lord. The reason why it is good news is because he has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled what the prophets have said. So there is no pressure on you to fulfill the law of God. One of the things I felt as a growing up in the church that I grew up in was that I have to be perfect. I have to attain to the, to the perfection of God's law. And I couldn't. No matter how hard I try, I couldn't. Even now, we're currently mentoring a couple where the scripture came out, not even a hint of sexual immorality. I can't even say that for myself simply because it is such a tough law to meet. But Jesus fulfilled the law. He did it for us. Not only did he do it for us, but he also took the punishment that we deserve for not fulfilling the law. You see, when you have a relationship with an authority figure, if you break their laws, you deserve punishment. If you're disrespectful towards your parents and your, and your parents slap you, God forbid that happens, you deserve to be punished. If you break the law in, in South Africa and you get arrested, you deserve to be punished simply because you broke the law. But Jesus was like, not only will I live life perfectly for you, but I will also take the punishment that you deserve, and rightfully so, but I will take that punishment for you. It's like when you write a test, and because now, I mean, an exam, because now the year is ending, um, and now you've done some calculations as well, and you see what kind of mark you need in order to pass the year. Uh, I remember one year a friend of mine had to get 100% in order to pass the year with a 50 so in order to pass the year, you need to get 100%. You need to get perfection in order to be able to go through into the next year. But you know that you know that you know that even no matter how hard you study, you are not going to get 100%. A lot of the time on campus when we're evangelizing, so we use the God test, and we ask students, out of 10, how are you meeting God's expectations? The highest answer I've ever gotten was a 7. And I usually ask, what happened to the other 3? It's like, I'm only human. That's simply because there's only so much that we can do in our own strength. But Jesus, he got 100% for that exam. And he was like, man, I know you can't do it. Don't even try. Take, here's my exam paper. Put your student number on it so that you can get the 100%. And in that moment, you have an, an, a choice to say, I am going to take this paper or I am going to leave it. A lot of people here would be like, I am definitely taking that paper so I can get that 100%. But the choice is up to you to take that paper so that you can receive that 100% that Jesus got. The choice is up to you to receive what Jesus did when he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross in our place. 
And three days later, he rose from the grave. Him rising from the grave, proving that he's defeating death, defeating the consequences, is showing that, man, I am so powerful that this is what I can do. A lot of people have died. I'm sure a lot of us know someone who has died through COVID. And we, we, we felt the hopelessness that comes with that because we know that we do not have the power to defeat death. We know that even that person who has died, they themselves don't have power to come back and rise from the dead. But Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death. And this is the gospel. You have an opportunity this evening to receive the gospel.